Thank you, Matt, and Harvest Community Church for the opportunity to preach this morning. Uh, like Matt said, my name is Mark Whitcomb, uh, one of the pastors at Henson Baptist Church. Uh, you know, I never like listening to folks that I don't know a whole lot about, so uh, a quick idea of who I am. Uh, I grew up in South Carolina. Uh, my dad is a Baptist pastor there. He has been since a little bit before I was born. So I grew up in church uh, every day of my life, it seems like. Uh, I was in the church building and uh, really enjoyed growing up in a pastor's home and uh, understood the gospel at an early age, but really didn't see that lived out in my own life uh, clearly until I was into high school and even going into my college years. I went to a small Bible college in Wisconsin and uh, got married after I finished college. Uh, My wife, Jen, and I have been married for 12 years. Uh, We went to a, a small seminary in Detroit, Michigan, and lived there for a number of years. And then after I finished seminary, found out about the uh, pastoral residency here at Henson Baptist Church and moved here uh, just over six years ago and moved out here, uh, loved living in the Portland area, was able to work remotely uh, doing marketing and auto industry for a number of years, and then uh, had the opportunity to come on staff here at Henson just over three years ago. And have loved uh, being able to pastor here and be in the Portland area. My wife, Jen, and I have three children. Uh, they are ages seven, five, and three. And it's uh, a real joy to raise them. And even during these uh, unique times uh, where we're preaching to a camera and uh, staying at home quite a bit with our family, uh, it's been a joy to raise them, to see them uh, grow and be able to teach them. It has been interesting, uh, definitely bringing about some very unique uh, parenting opportunities as we have uh, tried to spend an exceptional amount of time with our kids being inside quite a bit right now is even just me giving them instruction and seeing how they respond. You know, it, it might be simple instruction like, please put your wet rain boots by the back door, or uh, could you please clean up all your toys? And it's, it's really interesting to see the different responses that my kids have. Uh, they're very loving children, but uh, there's really kind of three responses. One, uh, they will either just outright disobey, which tends to result in consequences. Uh, but there are other times that they obey, but with a very uh, bad attitude in the way that they're obeying, a very uh, disgusted attitude that I was asking them to do something. And, and those two responses tend to bring about a, a break in our relationship, a struggle for us to love each other well, to communicate and to care for one another well. But there's a third response of their obedience uh, that's, that's done actually not begrudgingly, but in a wonderful, happy attitude to uh, recognize that it's a joy for me to be able to give them instruction and them to be able to obey and that we love each other well in that. And today, as we go through our section in Exodus, we're going to get to see that relationship between God and his people. You know, up to this point uh, in Exodus, as you all have been studying, uh, you've gotten to see Israel's different responses. In Exodus 24, God put the terms of the covenant in front of the people. Trust me, he said, obey me and my blessing will be on you. And all the people actually agreed to that covenant. Exodus 24, 7 says, Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, We will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. And then God proceeded to give them the instructions for building the tabernacle in chapters 25 through 31. And as they 
received those instructions, we know how they responded. Moses went up the mountain and the people took those instructions and turned them upside down and did the opposite. They had received instructions about building a place to worship God and to dwell with God. And instead they built an idol to worship themselves. They disobeyed him using what God had given them for their own pleasure and their own enjoyment. They ultimately worshiped themselves. And there, after their rebellion, a small measure of God's wrath was poured out upon the people. And Moses went and interceded. He went to God and, and, and said, God, put that punishment on me. And God said, no, I will remove my wrath. I will not punish these people. I will not pour out my full wrath upon this disobedient people. God was merciful there to his children in Israel. And in chapter 34, the covenant is renewed. That relationship is, is restored to a certain extent. The, the terms of the covenant are laid out. And that brings us to our text this morning. In, in Exodus chapters 35 through 40. So if you're a Bible, I'd really encourage you to turn there. You're going to be greatly helped as you follow along. And as we go through uh, these chapters, we're not going to read every single verse. We're going to definitely have some verses we're going to dig into, but have some verses that we're going to look at uh, in more of an overview to understand the context for what is being written here. And in Exodus 35 to 40 is where we get to see what happens with God's people and the relationship between God and his people when those people do what God had instructed them to do. You know, what does it mean for these children to obey their heavenly father? There's one idea that I want us to walk away with this morning, and it is this, that God dwells with those who worship him in obedience. Our theme this morning, God dwells with those who worship him in obedience. And we're going to see that really by talking about two different ideas here, two, two different parts. God is to be worshiped on his, on his terms, and God dwells with his children. And so let's start with that first idea of, of how God is meant to be worshipped. First, God is to be worshipped on his terms. Look in your Bibles in Exodus 35. We're going to look at the first three verses. Moses assembled all the congregation of the people of Israel and said to them, These are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. Six days work shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. The first instructions given here in chapter 35 before all the instructions are delivered uh, for building the temple is that they should honor the Sabbath. Why is that? Why honor the Sabbath? I think there are a lot of reasons that this instruction is given first, and, and I want to just quickly kind of give us a sense for the importance of this instruction. To recognize the people have come gathered together, the congregation as a whole, meeting here and, and hearing these words. I would assume for many of them it reflected the idea of what they had heard about of creation and what we should recognize as God's creation of creating for six days and resting on the seventh. This is the order of God's creation. Actually, throughout this section, 35 through 40, we're going to see little glimpses of creation, creation language and imagery. But really what I want us to recognize here is the need for the Sabbath 
is to emphasize that the point of the week is not for all those days working, but to get to the day of rest. The emphasis is on that day of rest. In, in verse 2, it says that it is holy to the Lord. This was a day of worship. The point here being that all the work that was accomplished throughout the week, those six days, was for a goal of getting together to worship God on that last day that is meant to be holy, set apart for him. All of the instruction that's given to pursue is the worship of God, is pursuing the worship of God. That's why this instruction is given first. It lays a foundation for the rest of what is going to be delivered to the people. That they should be pursuing a worship of God. Now, our culture that we live in has this completely upside down. You know, we, we work to get to the weekend so that we can have fun for ourselves. You know, we push through all those work days to, to be able to relax and have fun and, and take that in for we deserve that of all the work that we put in. And yet, in, in a context of the gospel of, of God's word and his creation is that we work for the weekend so that we can honor God and worship him for what he has provided for us, that he has given us all things that we need. And I think that applies to each and every one of us. What do we think about as we go throughout our work week? As we think about what it looks like to come to Sunday, what is the point of that entire work throughout the entire week? You know, maybe you've been climbing the corporate ladder for yourself. Maybe you're parenting your kids throughout the whole week so that they turn out the way that you want them to, for your own glory as a parent. Maybe you're studying in school throughout the entire week to be admired by your peers and your teachers and others that they would see the degree that you've gotten, that you've achieved something. What would it look like for you to reorient your day? every day of your life, that your work and what you're accomplishing is for the purpose of being able to rest and worship God because of what he's done for you throughout the whole week. Because of the way that he's provided a job, he's provided money, he's provided a way for you to live and to care for others and to love others. I think for us, we should recognize the importance to come together on a Sunday and to gather and to worship God. I get right now, that's a, a difficult thing. We're, we're not allowed to gather in these large groups, and yet we have an opportunity, even in our own homes, to reflect on what are the ways that God has provided for us this week that bring us to worship him. And I think this is the, the first area that God has instructed the Israelites and even us to worship him by keeping the Sabbath holy, setting aside a day in which we reflect on who he is. What are other aspects of worship that God has given to us? Well, we see here for the Israelites, it was not just through honoring the Sabbath, but it was through giving. Look here in chapter 35 and verse 4. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze blue and purple scarlet yarns and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skins and goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and stones for setting, 
for the ephod and for the breast piece. You know, here they're instructed to give, to give these wonderfully magnificent gifts. And if you skip down to verse 20, we see then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses and they came and everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. So they came both men and women, all who were willing of willing heart brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord and everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns or fine linen or goat's hair or tanned ram skins or goat skins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as, as the Lord's contribution. And everyone who possessed acacia wood and any use in the work brought it and every skillful woman spun with her hands and they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair and the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastpiece and spices and oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense all the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. You know, here we see their magnificent gifts, what they had that they brought these things just as the Lord had commanded. They are bringing all these things to be used in the building of the tabernacle. You know, where did they get all this stuff? They've only been out of Egypt for so long. Surely they haven't done that much bartering and bargaining with the other nations to have all these things. And didn't they already use a lot of their gold and precious jewels for the golden calf? And what we recognize here is a way that God has provided for these people. What they have, they actually brought out of Egypt. These gifts were given to them in their darkest times of slavery when they felt hopeless and without God and God brought them out of Egypt. And as they left, they took with them these marvelous possessions. Why? Was it for their own use and their own good? No. These gifts, these jewels, these precious stones, and all that is mentioned here were given so that God could be worshiped, so that God could dwell with his people. It was for the building of the tabernacle. It wasn't for their own purposes and it wasn't for their own enjoyment. It was so that they could give it back to God. And how did they give these gifts? Well, we see that they have willing hearts. You can recognize this here in verses 21 and 29 of chapter 35. They came, everyone whose heart stirred him and everyone whose spirit moved him. In their hearts, they were willing to give, not begrudgingly, not being forced, but giving willingly, as we see at the end of verse 29, that they gave these free will offerings. This was their sacrifice to give to the Lord out of willing and grateful hearts. And how did they do this? Yes, willingly, but also abundantly. If you turn and look at chapter 36, look at verse 2. It says, And Moses called Bezalel and Holiab, and every craftsman in whose mind the Lord had put skill, everyone whose heart stirred him up to come to do the work. And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought for doing the work of, on the sanctuary. 
they still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came, each from the task that he was doing, and said to Moses, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. So Moses gave command and word was proclaimed throughout the camp. Let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary. So the people were restrained from bringing for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more. The people not only gave out of willing hearts, but they gave abundantly. They gave more than was necessary to accomplish what God had instructed them to do. I wonder if this describes our giving. You know, we start with recognizing that what we have is from God. The psalmist writes in Psalm 24, verse 1, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. You know, we must give from a willing heart. And Paul tells the church in Corinth that each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And so we give abundantly with a cheerful heart, recognizing whatever we have, it is from God. What God has given us, we seek to give back in worship to him, using it in a way that glorifies him to show that I didn't accumulate these things for myself to recognize that my treasure is not in the things of this world, but that I can give those up cheerfully and abundantly to glorify God. The Lord has met all our needs and generously blessed us. We are compelled to respond in generous and abundant giving. Now, I I do know and recognize, and I feel the same thing you feel. We are in unstable times. Many of us don't know the state of our own finances going here into the future in the next few months. And yet, I wonder how God has blessed you and given to you in a way that you can recognize his good hand of providing for you. You know, I wonder what needs are around you that you get to hear about in your own congregation with neighbors who live near you. Are you ready and willing to give to them, to help them, to to help provide for their needs? I wonder how you still support the work of the ministry at Harvest. How are you able to give of whatever you have, to give back to the Lord, to show your love and your care for those who are ministering to you, to care for the staff who are helping lead this church? God hasn't given to you so that you can spend it all on yourself and your enjoyment and your own pleasures. God has given to each of us so that we might be able to glorify him in the way that we give generously back to him. And so I wonder if your giving is a way that you can worship God for his kind blessing toward you. Here we see the people giving back to the Lord in a way that they are worshiping him. And so they worship God through the honoring the Sabbath, through the way that they give, but also through the way that they serve. Look with me again back in chapter 35. We're going to look at verses uh, 10 through 19, uh, and then looking on into the rest of the text. Scripture says in Exodus 35, verse 10, Let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded. In the next few verses, it's going to list all the things that they were crafting and making and and bringing together. Go ahead and skip over to uh, chapter 35, verse 30. It says, Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel and uh, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. 
And he has filled him with the spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood for work in every skilled craft. And he has inspired him to teach both him and Aholiab, the son of Hesimach, of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or by an embroiderer in blue and purple and scarlet yarns, in fine twined linen, and by a weaver, by any sort of workman or skilled designer. So we see that these two men specifically were, were called out, but even the whole nation, right, was called out as craftsmen, those who were skilled, who were given these gifts and abilities to come out, to, to work, to bring about the tabernacle, to put it together. And that's really what we see over the next five chapters, that they are bringing together all these materials and putting them together and building the tabernacle. And yet, it wasn't just that God had given some of them skill, but these two men who were called out specifically, given the skills that are abounding and be able to teach others also. That they are there to invest in others, to help them learn these skills to work together. And I hope for us, we can recognize here the, the beautiful picture that we get to see, even in the church, that God has given each of us skills and abilities to come together in the body of Christ for worship, to point others to the work of God in us. It is not just for us. It is not just for our abilities. And I do want to challenge you, Harvest Community Church, that for those of you that have joined this church, that you recognize every member has a part. God has put you in this congregation for a reason and has given you gifts and abilities to serve others, to work in the ministry of this church. Now, I'm not encouraging you to go out and take a bunch of tests and find out what is that one skill or ability that God has given me. No, I want to encourage you to be aware of what is happening around you. How can you serve? How can you give of yourself that is in a way worshiping God that God has given you gifts and abilities? So listen, be aware of what is around you, of how you can be involved, of those that you can invest in. Maybe you need to ask others who know you well. Ask them, how am I gifted by God? What are the things that you see in my life that I could use to serve the church, that I could use to serve others? Here in this text, we recognize God has given a wonderful blessing to his people in giving them these skills and leaders who are training and teaching. And so I want to encourage the leadership of harvest. Leaders, you are to lead by example. You are ones who are to be training others. I wonder what training looks like during this time. Perhaps that means that you're going to need to make a few more phone calls. You're going to need to send a few more emails to care for people, to, to send them resources, to encourage them to be reading, to be studying. Don't allow a, a pandemic like we're experiencing now to separate you from training others, to bringing others up in the church, to grow them to help them learn new gifts and skills, be investing in others during this time. I do want us to see all throughout this, there, there is this work that is building the tabernacle. The rest of 36 is, is recognizing all the skills that these men are investing and in putting together the tabernacle. In 37, they're making the ark, they're making the table, the lampstand, the altar of incense, they're, they're making the altar of burnt offering in chapter 38. 
They're making the court, bringing all this court together. And at the end of 38, we feel like, oh, we finally hit the end. We've, we've got this break at the end of 38. Starting in verse 21, we have a description, kind of a repeat of all the materials that have been used. And yet, at the beginning of 39, the work picks up again. Now it's focused on the priestly garments, the, the garments that the priest would wear, and, and all this being put together all the way through 39 verse 31. And we see then instruction and, and kind of this affirmation of the work that was accomplished in 32 through 43. But here's what I wanted to get to. So the work was not all just the people and these men who were called out with their skills and abilities. It is also seen in Moses, their leader working. In Exodus 40, verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, On the first day of the first month, you shall erect the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. And the instruction goes on, and in verse 16, we see, This Moses did according to all that the Lord commanded him, so he did. And then the end of verse 33. And he, Moses, erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court. So Moses finished the work. The gifts and abilities are given to the whole congregation, and yet Moses himself is leading in this way, setting up the tabernacle. This is a call for all of us as a congregation to function together as the body, as arms and hands and legs and feet, working together for the support of the body and the leadership leading in a way that they're leading an example, doing this as well. And what is this resulting in? It is resulting in the worship of God, that he would be glorified and honored, that he would be able to dwell with his people. And so God is to be worshiped by honoring the Sabbath, by giving, by serving, but this is all done in obedience. In all this text, in in chapters 35 through 40, is the emphasis that God's people were being obedient. And this is what the Lord had commanded all throughout, that they would obey him in these ways. And we see this idea of obedience repeated throughout all these chapters, but it really comes to an emphasis in chapter 39. So turn to chapter 39, and I'm going to quickly, very quickly, walk through a number of verses. We see that they are given all this instruction, and now as they focused on the priestly garments, here is the instruction. Verse 1 of chapter 39, From the blue and purple and scarlet yarns they made finely woven garments for ministering in the holy place. They made the holy garments for Aaron, as the Lord had commanded Moses. All right, we, we see that, that wording, the Lord had commanded Moses. They were doing it as the Lord had commanded. The same language is used at the end of verse 5 at the end of verse 7, at the end of verse 21, at the end of verse 26, at the end of verse 29, and at the end of verse 31. Seven times it is repeated, they are doing just as the Lord commanded. We might think, all right, I, I think I'm getting the idea. They're, they're following the Lord's command. Oh, but it's, it's not done yet. In chapter 39, we see in verse 32, the focus turns towards now that they're done with the garments, that here is what they've done in uh, bringing the tabernacle together. In, in verse 32, uh, the people of Israel did according to all the Lord had commanded Moses. 
In verse 42, as the Lord had commanded. Verse 43, as the Lord had commanded. We have three more emphasis about how the tabernacle was constructed and brought together. And you'd think, surely that's enough to emphasize that they obeyed. No, in chapter 40, we see that Moses himself is now putting together the temple, the the tabernacle. He's putting all the things, the elements together. And in verse 16, we're told he's doing as the Lord commanded. And now seven more times, verses 19, 21, 23, 25, 27, 29, and 32, this is emphasized that they were doing, Moses himself here, doing as the Lord had commanded. Why is this repeated so many times? It is to emphasize the importance of what was accomplished. God's people, for the first time in the book of Exodus, in this entire letter, are obeying God correctly with the right heart attitude in a spirit of worship pursuing the relationship with God out of hearts that are grateful for God and who he is. They are submitting to God's authority. So what changed from their rebellion in pointing to to all this repetitiveness of their obedience? What changed in all of their rebellion from chapter 32 to this point? Well, God certainly didn't change. He's repeating his instructions again almost verbatim from earlier in Exodus. It wasn't God that changed. It was the people that changed. See, they were no longer worshiping themselves. They were worshiping God in what they were doing. The people are obeying because of what God had done for them. See, after their rebellion, God did not pour out his full wrath upon them. He actually refrained from that. And he saved these people to himself. And we recognize in their hearts, they are turned and stirred in their affections towards worship for God because of what God did for them, because of the salvation that he gave them. He saved them from his own wrath. And in response, they recognized a God who loved them and cared for them. And in turn, they are worshiping him through their obedience. In the way that they were responding, they were obeying God to worship him and honor him. You know, why do you obey God? Is it because you're trying to live perfectly, to please God, to do everything that his word instructs? I hope not, because you're going to fail at that. Is it for fear of being punished or not getting what you want in life? You know, our obedience has to come out of a heart that is worshiping God our great God of mercy. You know, I I should be obeying God because I'm rejoicing my heart that he is such a good God to me, that he has provided for me, that he has rescued me. You know, I give and I serve and I live in a way that should reflect God's character because God did something for me and in me, not because I changed myself. And here we recognize the people are responding in a way that shows obedience and worship because of what God had done in changing them. This is why the obedience is so important. Not because they're keeping the the instructions and doing what God had told them, but because it comes out of the right heart attitude. 
John Piper writes in his book, The Pleasures of God, when God says one thing and we consult the little wizard of our own wisdom and then stubbornly choose to go our own way, we are, in effect, idolaters. We esteem the direction of our own mind over God's direction and become guilty of idolatry. Worst of all, the idol is our own self. So it stands to reason that God will be displeased with a disobedience because at every point it is an attack on his glory. Obedience being the exact opposite enthrones and honors God. Therefore, God has great pleasure in obedience. He goes on to say, God's pleasure in obedience is great news because the obedience he loves is the obedience of faith. What we need is God's work in our heart to transform our heart to obey in a way that is worshiping him. So I do want to talk to you, young people, teenagers, young adults. I want you to hear this message clearly. Learn this lesson now. God doesn't just want your good deeds and your good works and your nice attitude and keeping the rules. God wants a changed heart. You need, first and foremost, a heart that is oriented towards God, that desires him and desires for him to be worshipped and glorified. You want to live a God-honoring life? Read the word, know God, worship him, and let your actions flow out of a changed heart. For you parents, I wonder if you're trying to be the perfect parent to live a life in front of your kids as if you obey everything that God says, as if you do everything perfectly. I wonder what it would look like for you to be transparent with your kids, with your spouse, to show them what it means to seek the Lord in humility, obeying him through a heart of worship, a heart that is oriented toward everything that you do, pointing towards God and his glory, to point that he has done something in you and has changed you, that you're not a perfect person. You can be a better parent and spouse by setting your heart towards worshiping God. I think for all of us, we should take this week to check our motivations in all that we do. Are we seeking to obey God because we believe he is worthy of worship? Or are you seeking God because of the mercy that he's shown you? Note that the Israelites are reflecting on God's mercy really because of a remembrance of what he's done. This is actually even seen in the timing of the the construction of the tabernacle. Look at chapter 40, verse 16. This Moses did according to all that the Lord commanded him, so he did. In the first month, in the second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. What's the timing here? This is one year after the Lord rescued his people out of Egypt. It is the celebration of the Passover. It is rejoicing because of God's salvation of his people. A reminder of what God had done, which spurs on their obedience and their love and ultimately their worship of him because he had done a work for them. And all this obedience would result in God's blessing. No, it wasn't just a physical blessing. It wasn't just giving them things. No, it was better than that. It was a spiritual blessing. We see in chapter 39, verse 43, that Moses himself delivers a blessing to the people because of their sacrifice of giving and and serving and worshiping God. It is God's affirmation on the obedience the people displayed 
More than that, God was willing, uh, God was fulfilling what he came to do. He had been on the top of the mountain near his people and they rebelled against him. And in their rebellion, they were removed away from the mountain. And now in their worship-filled obedience, in the turn of their hearts and their love for God and their worship of him, God is now coming down to dwell with his people. And it reminds us of the big idea that we're thinking about this morning. God dwells with those who worship him in obedience. The people's hearts were turned in their worship of him, of worshiping God, and the way that, that they obeyed is seen and lived out. And now God will dwell with his people. Look at the end of chapter 40, the last few verses here. Point two, God dwells with his children. 40 verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out until the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and fire was in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. You know, throughout this section of Exodus, as I've pointed out and mentioned, there are glimpses of creation throughout the construction of this tabernacle. We must at the very least see that there's order and purpose to what God instructed his people to do. And just like creation, right? There were the six days and then God rested. There was an order and a form to the creation and God rested to dwell with his creation. That was the whole point of creation, right? And so God saw that his creation was good and him dwelling with his people was good and it was exactly the way that it was supposed to be. But something changed. See, man worshiped himself. Adam and Eve failed in their sin. They disobeyed God and they worshiped themselves. They became the first idolaters. And God could no longer dwell with man because sin had entered into the world. And now for the first time since the garden, since creation, God is coming down to where his children were to dwell with them, to be with them. This is marvelous. God came down to a glory-filled tabernacle to be with his people for the first time since the garden. Can you imagine being there to witness this, to see God entering into the tabernacle, to see his glory cloud settle in this place that was just constructed? But something still wasn't right. Look at verse 35. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting. Even Moses couldn't enter in and be in God's presence. What, what, why is this still broken? What is wrong? Even in the perfection of the tabernacle followed to a T of God's instruction, there was still a barrier to God. The most holy place in the midst of the tabernacle was set apart for God alone, where his glory would be. See, the people still needed a priest, a, an intercessor, somebody to be that mediator to go to God for them. 
to lead them in, in a worshipful way, to sacrifice, to be this advocate. There was no perfect sinless representative who could enter God's presence. How on earth would this separation ever be resolved? Well, it wasn't through their effort and it wasn't through our effort, but through God's work. The tabernacle not only points back to the garden, but it points forward to the cross, to Jesus Christ. Because where a perfect priest was needed, Jesus Christ himself fulfilled that role. In fact, when God came down to meet with his people, we see that reflected in the fact that God came down to dwell with his people in Jesus Christ. John 1 tells us that the word, Jesus Christ, became flesh and he came to dwell among us. God came down to us in Jesus. Jesus was sinless and he remained sinless and he lived out his ministry before people. And even on this Sunday that we celebrate Palm Sunday, the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem, the people were rejoicing, singing Hosanna, laying down their coats and and providing this triumphal entry. We read on to find out that those people rejected Jesus because he wasn't the king that they wanted. See, the king they wanted was more like the golden calf. They wanted a a king that looked wonderful and, and did all these wonderful things for them. And Jesus Christ came to serve them in a way that they didn't want. He came to sacrifice himself. And in his sinlessness, he was crucified on a cross and he died. A death that he did not deserve as a perfect man, as God. And he bore the penalty of our sin on himself. He died that we might have life. And, not to spoil next week on Easter, he rose again the third day to defeat sin and death, to win for us victory over sin and death that we might have life forevermore with him. And he became that great high priest. Hebrews 4.14 tells us we have a great high priest who ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. He is the one who can enter into the most holy place with God the Father and bring us into that relationship that God might dwell in us through the work of the Holy Spirit. And so we must be ultimately found worshiping Jesus Christ because of what he has done, giving ourselves to him, rejoicing in the salvation that God has brought to us. So I want to speak to you, unbelievers, someone who might be listening and watching and you realize you have never trusted in Jesus Christ. You seek to find salvation in your own works, your good deeds, your obedience to the law. Jesus Christ died on the cross to save you from your sin because you cannot save yourself. And if you don't accept Jesus' sacrifice to pay the penalty of your sin, then you will never enter into the presence of God. You will never dwell with God the way God created us to dwell with him. Instead, we will suffer God's wrath if we choose to not believe. So today is the day for you to rest in God's mercy, to rejoice in God's salvation to turn from your own sin, to repent, and to pray to Christ that he would be your Savior. You can do that right where you are. You can do that at any time. You can talk to those that you might know who are at harvest, who trust in Jesus Christ, and ask them what this looks like. Talk to one of the pastors. Ask them for 
their wisdom and counsel to take you to the gospel to show you what Christ has accomplished. That you could rejoice in, in God coming to dwell with man, that that relationship was made possible through Jesus Christ. If you are a believer and you're listening to this, I think to us the challenge is that we would rejoice in the gospel. That our obedience would come out of a heart worshiping Jesus Christ because of what he accomplished. Being able to rejoice in what God has done for us, that we have an advocate with the Father. The Holy Spirit living in us, as John 14 points out, that we can rest assured that God is our Father and that Jesus is our Savior and the Holy Spirit is our mediator. He is our advocate. We can dwell with God. Yes, there is a physical separation right now that we are not in heaven, but we look forward to that day. And I wonder how that changes your day today. How does that change your day tomorrow as you work, as you care for your family, as you seek to love others, as you sit perhaps in uncertainty, not knowing what the future holds? Can you rejoice in what God has done? Can you live in obedience to God's word, not out of just doing this to please God, but to rejoice in what God has done, that pleasing him means that you are worshiping him, that is out of a heart that is willing and grateful for what God has done. Is your heart inclined towards God this week because of the work he has accomplished? As I conclude, not just this sermon, but ultimately the whole book of Exodus, I think we should reflect on this entire book. A book that began with a people who were in the darkness of slavery and in despair, crying out to God which throughout the entire book of Exodus ends with God dwelling with his people because of a work that he had done resulting in their worship of who God is. It reminds us that we worship him through our obedience. We rejoice that God, the creator of the universe, dwells with his children who worship him in obedience. Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you for your wonderful gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. And God, your wonderful gift of dwelling with your people who worship you in obedience. Lord, that we would live our day today rejoicing in what you have done, reflecting on lives redeemed and worshiping you in what we say, in what we do, and how we live with those around us, pointing them to the gospel. Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts, that you would build up the body of Christ to glorify you. Lord, that if there's anyone listening today who does not know you as Savior, that they would trust in you for salvation, that they would rejoice in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Lord, that we might be able to rejoice in their salvation. And so, Lord, go with us that we might honor and glorify you today. In Christ's name, amen.